Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by my fellow friars, Father Stephen Dominic Hayes, and our deacon, Brother Isaiah Biter. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, wrote in her autobiography, In heaven only shall we be in possession of the clear truth. On earth, even in matters of holy scripture, our vision is dim. It distresses me to see the differences in its translations. And had I been a priest, I would have learned Hebrew, so as to read the word of God as he deigned to utter it, in human speech. Today we're going to reflect a bit on the original languages of sacred scripture, um, especially Latin, I'm sorry, Greek and Hebrew, and, and, and uh, later a little bit about Latin. The original languages, of course, are mainly Hebrew and Greek. Uh, uh, Brother Isaiah has recently taken Hebrew and also some Greek and some Latin, as all Dominicans have to. Uh, Father Stephen Dominic very recently has started to take Hebrew. He's taking a class formally, formally online uh, uh, th- with the teacher in Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so he's through Hebrew University. Through Hebrew University, he's taking a class online with people from all over the world. Um, I it's a little getting a little dim in my memory, but I did take Hebrew and Greek when I was at the House of Studies. Yeah, they didn't have the rotation for when I was there for some They reason. didn't have that? Didn't have that available. I could mm. never get in anyway. So, Yeah. Well, thankfully, we do have some friars there who, who teach it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's great to be able to take that. Um, so for Father Stephen Dominic, what is it like finally? I know you've been wanting to do this for some time mm-hmm. or at least thought about it. What's it like finally being able to start to learn a little bit of Hebrew? Well, you know, I, I've... I've dug at it periodically, but I think the the benefit of the regular class is that I'm mm-hmm. sort of forced to not let my uh, focus dim, mm-hmm. uh, but keep keep moving on, and that's making a big difference. At this point, I'm actually even just a few weeks in, able to look at a passage in the Old Testament with new eyes. You know that mm-hmm. I can, you know, compare the uh, the old the uh, the Hebrew to. The translation on the other side, I can certainly sound out the letters and so forth. We got the alphabet down, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're working on the the vowel, uh, the vowel pointings and so forth, which are hilarious. It's a, I always get a kick out of how many ways uh, you can put together thinking in a person's head through language, because I've always found languages are completely different tool sets. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know if you use metric tools on a project, you're going to get a different result than if you get. Slightly different result than if you use, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the unusual American American standard, <laughs> inches inches foot system. Right. So I think it's like language. Like you know, languages continue to have meanings. Uh, one of the fun things about Hebrew is 
it has a um, first of all, it's it's very ancient. It's and it's connected to uh, other languages. So, mm-hmm. for instance, it's connected most importantly to Aramaic, which is sort of the North Semitic language spoken on the street in Jesus' time, and it's also connected to Arabic. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, but the Arabs remember are also the, uh, the children of Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, on the one side you have Isaac, but you also have Ishmael. So as the Jews, Jews are eventually the sons of Isaac, uh, the Arabs are the sons of Ishmael, both children of Abraham. Mm-hmm. So there's always, and the, their languages have always sort of coexisted in the same area. Uh, the Arabs appear as Midian sometimes in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's just interesting to see how the words play off each other and the mm-hmm. roots. One of the things that all these Semitic languages have is they're based on a three-consonant system, okay, which is your basic root. Now, there are exceptions and so forth, but but basically these three letters, uh, these three consonants come together and perform the root of the language. And then you sort of add and subtract things to them, and mm-hmm. they and this is how you play with meanings and so forth. They also have... Uh, connections with with other words. So, for instance, the word for covenant uh, is based on the, a root meaning to cut. So, cutting a covenant. Now, what does that mean? I mean, how do you cut an alliance and agreement? Well, one thing is, like in, um, I think it's 12th chapter Genesis, but, but Abraham offers a sacrifice at God's command, and he actually cuts the bodies of the sacrifices in half, and then uh, the presence of God passes through the parts. So mm-hmm. it, you cut the covenant, and basically in the business transactions, there's what may, what happened to these animals happen to me if I ever break what I'm saying I'm going to do. Right, mm-hmm. right. Okay, and and so we have this notion of cut, so that that cutting, for instance, uh, how do you enter the covenant of, of Israel? Because it's not enough to be born into the tribe. You have to be cut into the tribe if you're a male. Mm-hmm. By circumcision, right, right, and this is the covenant with Abraham. With Abraham, <laughs> mm, yeah, that's true. And you might even look at this, you know, uh, all the way to the cross, in which the covenant that God makes with us in the present age of grace is cut in the body of Christ, whose blood is separated from His body mm. upon the cross as the great definitive sign mm. of His death. Mm-hmm. That the the soldier's lance, in a sense, you know, the, both the power of our sins and the will of the Most High, cut a right. covenant by right. which you know sin is transformed towards grace. Mm. Um, and of course, it's on the cross that you have the preservation of the three sacred languages of Holy Church, you know, and its variants. You know, I mean, these are actually bodies of languages. As I said, with Hebrew, you've got things like. Um, um, you know, Aramaic and, and Arabic, but, you know, also with Greek, you, you have a heavy influence of Greek and Coptic, you know, the Egyptian, the Egyptian uh, theological languages and so forth. And, of course, the Latin rite, this was spoken in Rome, in, in Israel in Jesus' time. Just think of how many Iraqis learned to speak English <laughs> while American troops were there. Mm-hmm. It's something you have to know if you have guys with weapons running around. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this also has become one of the great liturgical languages. So, but it's but it's as I said, the memorial to it, as I always like to point out when people say, "Why are we fooling around with Hebrew and Greek and Latin?" Well, so did the Holy Spirit, you know. So Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. This is uh, John chapter nineteen, verses nineteen and following. 
Many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Mm-hmm. So Hebrew was Aramaic, probably. Aramaic was also used as the uh, diplomatic language throughout the church for year, hundreds of years before in the Persian Empire. So it was widely known. It's diplomatic language, you have Greek as the business language, Latin was the language of the Roman army and the courts and anybody else who was under the under the boot of Rome. And uh, the chief priest, of sword, uh, chief priest of the Jews then said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but the man said, I'm king of the Jews. Pilate answered, and this is like Caiaphas, I think, you know, the Holy Spirit's, <laughs> what I've written, I've written. Quad scripsy, scripsy. And you just can't get any more precise and pungent than the Latin there. Mm-hmm. What scripsy, scripsy. Mm-hmm. We need a whole bunch more words to convey that thought. Mm-hmm. He does it in three. <laughs> so I, I've always found that this is some of the beauty of what we've had. As I said, I think these are uh, these are languages which do not change because they are not commonly spoken. So Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Uh, this is why sacred languages, I think, are important because if you can access the sacred language, you can access the content they have which is always more than you'll have in a mere translation. Mm-hmm. And this is why, you know, people like you and I and brother are given three meals and a place to sleep every day so that we can study these things all day, what we love to do, and bring forth mm-hmm. these treasures to the people of God. Yeah. Brother Isaiah, maybe you could share a little bit about your experience of learning um, Hebrew and, and Greek. Yeah, I would just make the comment that it's a sort of new access to, you know, what's offered by the, the scriptures. I've, I've always had a special interest in the scriptures. I've, I have an interest in language, and I like to think about maybe the roots of words, etymologies of words, the way they connect. And when you read the words in the original language, you know, there are special connections, like the way we think of, I don't know, the earth. We think of Earth, we think the ground under our feet, we think the planet Earth, and that's just part of the way we speak, is these things are connected. Um, When we say the word master, it's a verb and a noun. So, you know, what a master does is he masters things. But some of those connections are different in different languages, and or words are used with different analogies and metaphors that, that are hard to translate and that you might not get if you are reading it in translation. That doesn't mean that you're not having an access to the true scriptures, but there is a, a wealth, a treasure of, of plays on words and puns and connections with names and different ways that the scriptural writers and Jesus himself are working with the language that's being used, that the Holy Spirit is inspiring to communicate aspects of the beauty of the faith that we believe. That, you know, you could, and people do, spend their whole life trying to experience. You're listening to The Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott. I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. I'm joined in the studio today by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and Brother Isaiah Beiter. We've been discussing the sacred languages, especially Hebrew and Greek uh, and also Latin, the languages in which we read the scriptures, and we've been discussing mainly about Hebrew, um, how it's uh, 
it, it, it gives us a deeper connection to some of the, the names and the terms in the Bible, how it has different associations uh, than, than we would have with similar words in, in English. Brother Isaiah, maybe you could just give some examples of, of uh, either of names or of places where knowing the original language opens up a new window. Mm-hmm. So one that we were talking about just earlier today is the name Joshua and the name Jesus. Now, in, uh, in Hebrew, Jesus is Yeshua, but of course, the New Testament is written in Greek, so we have Jesus. In the Greek form of the Old Testament, which is what would have been used by those who wrote the New Testament for most of their writing, Joshua from the Old Testament, you know, the one who followed after Moses and brought the people into the Holy Land, his name is simply Jesus also. So there's a lot of New Testament interpretation, or and then after the New Testament interpretation as well by the fathers of the church, that looks at Jesus as the new Joshua, because their names are the same. And there are, if you read back and read Exodus, you read then the entry in the book of Joshua, the entry into the land, there are many connections that you can make that are a little bit more opaque unless you see that historical, linguistic name connection that was so obvious to those yeah. in the first generation of the church. If you uh, actually have an old Rems Douay by translation of the Bible, uh, the character we call Joshua is called in Jesus, son of Nun, mm-hmm. hmm. which is sort of the the very literal translation of the of the Rems Douay. But uh, but yeah, if you you look at all the passages like where jo- that Joshua crosses, you know, begins his ministry by crossing the Jordan uh, River, okay, where Jesus begins his ministry by crossing there. We talk about the the triumph of Joshua at at Jericho, and then we talk about Christ, you know, overthrowing the blindness. You know that that is always the idolatry mm-hmm. power of the devil, and now we find him doing things like. Uh, in changing sinners into saints without killing them, like Zechariah or the man or the, or the blind man outside the outside the mm-hmm. who becomes a follower of him and goes up on the royal road with him to Jerusalem to, and the cross. That there's uh, yeah you were you were talking about the Magnificat I thought wonderfully in some of these examples of how you just uh, unless you have if they don't have access you actually don't see the 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 fine edge that's being used. In these languages, um, you know, because our translations, and you know, the, the, the Italians of a proverb, you know, the translator is a traitor, you know. Mm. And what was it you were saying that that uh, one did to read the holy scriptures through a translation is like always seeing your wife through a veil. <laughs> that's something I've heard said about <laughs> the Song of Songs. Is yeah. you know, of course, that's a a poem that's expressed and has for all the ages of the church been an expression of God's preferential and deep love for Israel in passion. t- his passionate passion. love in terms of human passion. Exactly. Yeah. And to read, I mean, you know, when you read poetry, there are all these language connections, the ways that words are playing off each other that, I mean, it's, it's a classic example that you just can't translate poetry. A Japanese haiku perfectly doesn't yeah. just come into English without some modification. Loss, right. Um, and similarly with this, what is rightly called love poetry, is you miss perhaps some of the tenderness or 
some of the structure of the words when you make the translation. And it's for something that's meant to be words of love and so carefully crafted. Emotionally engaging. Yeah. You miss little bits of it, little aspects of even the way that Mm -hmm. speaking it was meant to Mm -hmm. draw you into the experience of that love. Mm -hmm. You had some stuff about the Beatitudes. Yeah, well, the Beatitudes themselves and the whole Sermon on the Mount. So the Beatitudes, for instance, uh, in English we have, you know, meek, merciful. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of M's in the Beatitudes that we have. But actually in uh, Matthew's Gospel, the first four Beatitudes all start with P. Blessed are those who uh, mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Those are all, there's an alliteration that's meant to both help memory and help mm-hmm. you, you know, connect them together and draw the listener's ear mm-hmm. in. Or there's a whole section in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount where this, the singleness of heart is at right. the focus. And But Christ ends up saying strange things like, let your eye be one. And he's not, of course, telling us we need to be a cyclops to serve the Lord. <laughs> But mm-hmm. rather that the thing that you're looking at, the the purity of heart, is called to be one. And he follows that with you can't serve two masters. And then do not have a divided mind, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a Greek word for anxiety is the division right. of the mind or of the memory. But there's this evocative quality sometimes with – it actually helps me understand my own experience. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're anxious, you have – division of mind is you can't stop thinking about right. something yeah. and and to to get some of these word connections that are right there in the words of christ as recorded by the evangelist um can help this access i and, find them often much more gritty and immediate in the originals than they are in the translations well that's something very interesting we have there are very often obscurities mm-hmm. in the original languages that just so that, you know, we can understand them at Mass and that we can um, – anybody can pick up a Bible and read. A lot of them are smoothed out when we translate them to English. But mm-hmm. some of them, you know, you might have a word missing in a line that's parallel to another line. Mm-hmm. Or – and this happens with St. Paul all the time mm-hmm. – is there's something that's just – it's not totally clear may, maybe mm-hmm. who's who he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and – but – you know, if he had wanted to make it clearer, perhaps that would have been something that he did that the original language might give you afford ways to play with the language, to leave open ends mm-hmm. that um, that it's we might not be able to do in English. Mm-hmm. Or I think of when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you have to be born from above. Right. The word anothen that he uses yeah. means both from above and Again. from the top. Yeah, from the top. Which that's, you know, we use that in, Take in it from English. The yeah. Play but, it again. But he's playing on it. I mean, being born from the Holy Spirit from above, mm-hmm. the one who descends yeah. from above, and uh, and being born again. And you have to, you think, which one is right? Mm-hmm. Which one is it? Is it again or from above? And in a way, it's both. But it's hard to keep that. It's And we have the, the Joannine irony going on where yeah. in John's Gospel, he's... This irony in the play with words is absolutely deliberate. So you have another one where um, you have a reflexive Greek verb where, where in John where Jesus goes out with Pilate and it says, 
Pilate sits him on the on the on the judgment bench. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I remember the first year we did this. You know, we read this in the New Translation. Uh, we we all went for the Greek Bibles to see what was going on. Okay, and it turns out that because it sounds like Pilate is actually putting Jesus on the judgment seat, but mm. when you look at it, it's a reflexive it's a reflexive use of the pronoun, which means you know sort of you could also read it. it Pilate sat himself down on the bench. So which is it? Who's on the bench? Is it you know is it Jesus or 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 Pilate? As my rabbi friends would say, aha, aha. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Who's the, who's the real judge here is the question. Yeah, you get these little suggestions yeah. of – it's like – and some of these, of course, come into English. Like when the those who are persecuting Christ say, mm-hmm. let his blood be upon us. Right. Is That comes across very clearly in English, and it's a very beautiful double meaning yeah. that's going on. But some of these double meanings are – expressed in the original language and in the original poetry of the text, mm-hmm. very much in the intention of the author, mm-hmm. that requires some unpacking today in mm-hmm. a way that it might not have for you know the first generation that right. we're being written to. Mm-hmm. Who are able to read these as languages they were already familiar with. Exactly. But you see the evangelists are already dealing with this tension. Yeah. For instance, we think of the word mammon, we think of the word abba, we right. think of when Christ says... Talitha kum, yeah. you know, these are Aramaic words that the evangelists who are writing in Greek and sometimes writing in Greek for a Roman audience mm-hmm. who they would have known Latin even more in mm-hmm. generations, soon generations. So for some reason, they thought that these words were very important to maintain. They could have easily mm-hmm. translated them if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And and often they actually do translate them for us in the text. Mm-hmm. Um but the the just the fact of using the same word, knowing the word yeah. that Jesus said, the words that crossed his human lips, mm-hmm. is very powerful. Yeah. I think there's also a problem we have with the sacred languages sometimes that we tend to, when we study them, we study them for the scriptures. And we do not emphasize, partly because we're using vernacular liturgies now, we do not emphasize their em- being embedded in the liturgy mm. and popular, popular, Catholic, uh, popular practice of the faith among the people. For instance, when you say talaitakum, right? Mm-hmm. I see, little girl arise, right? Uh, that is points very powerful. El Masiakum is the greeting of of Melkite of uh, Eastern Christians in, who speak, uh, who are speaking Hebrew, uh, not Hebrew, speak uh, in Arabic. You know, El-Masiakum, the Lord is risen. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have here, I mean, I think if you put it in a liturgical context, you end up with a much more Easter meaning, Easter prophecy with the raising. He has this power. My heavens, how far does this power extend? Yeah. You know, and, and so there's a richness there that, and I would say also, you know, we've been sort of downing Latin, no, I should say ignoring Latin here, but Latin um, is, I think, uh for the Latin, for the, certainly it's our liturgical language in the West. And then there's this, the whole pattern of the use of these words in the liturgy. You know, I mean, these three languages that are nailed to the cross are ones that St. Peter, St. Paul, these would all recognize. And to walk into a Catholic church today and actually hear the same syllables, the connection to the language, the thought, mm-hmm. the faith mm-hmm. of uh, of antiquity, you know, in words that St. Peter would be comfortable with, would recognize 
you know, the Kyrie, you know, it's, it's the Greek of the Kyrie, the Amen, the Hallelujah from Hebrew, the uh, the Santos, San Años Day. Mm-hmm. You know, he would, there's, there's wonderful connections. We are a community of thought and practice. And the use of the sacred languages, I think, are part of that practice. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, we often, these days, with a, with our certain historical mindset, we can we can start to think that these difficulties in translation, in the handing down of the words, mean that we don't have access, and we get very concerned and and think that, you know, we've missed something, or maybe perhaps mm-hmm. we're not understanding the truth. But I think the better way to look at it, and I think the way that the church looks at it, is to see that these handing down of languages, these even sometimes differences in the way that the scriptures are recorded, the way different ways that the lang- different languages access the what's mm-hmm. preached in the scriptures are part of the way the Holy Spirit is teaching the church mm-hmm. and welcoming, welcoming the church into the fullness of truth, which, of course, Christ promises the Holy Spirit will do mm-hmm. once Christ ascends into heaven. Um, so as those of us who spend a lot of time studying these languages, you know, we have are given by the Holy Spirit through the sacred text, through the saints and those who have interpreted the scripture in sometimes various ways, special fruits, special lights that then we're given to hand on to the whole church. Yeah, so if for those of you listening, you know, you may not be able to take a, a whole course on this, but um, if you do ever get the opportunity, um, there are some great tools out there so that you can... Um, even just do a little word study uh, on on something in the Bible. So even if you don't have a chance to learn the whole language, you you have some tools, including some online and, and software tools that can help you look up what the word is underneath of it, and and then look that up to see what what the meaning is. Fifteen people in my online class. I'm the only clergyman. Yep. So yep. Yeah, there's so, a lot of interest in this. Yeah. So like Saint Therese, uh, you probably have an even better shot at learning uh, <laughs> learning some of these sacred languages. Than, than she did. So maybe ask her to pray for you, you know, if you ever decide to study, that she'll, she'll be your helper in heaven. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. I've been joined in the studio today by Father Steve Dominic Hayes and Brother Isaiah Biter. Let's now end in our prayer to St. Dominic. O light of the church, teacher, teacher of, of truth, truth, rose of patience, patience ivory of chastity, Freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni Sancti.